how do you want to set this up? This is going to be, this is going to air the last day or the first day of Unnamed Footage Festival 5. So if you're listening to this and it's Thursday, I've probably already made a fool out of myself introing Behind the Mask at the Alamo. And uh, we're getting ready on St. Patrick's Day to party with Nigel Bach. It's a great day. And now Malibu Horror Story, this is going to play on Saturday. And uh, I'm pumped. I, I, after we all watched your uh, movie, Scott, we were like, this is a crowd pleaser. And I'm, it's, it's funny. Which, which are, let's be honest, can be hard to come by. No, exactly. In, in, in the, in the uh, subgenre of found footage. No, I, yeah, because found footage usually demands a lot. A lot of the narrative isn't through like exposition. And it's, it's just a different type of movie. And yours, you kind of got the best of both worlds here. You have like the uh, shutter slasher film you have an element of that which is really just like you can sit down and enjoy it but you've also got like the heady complicated mixed media adventure that we're looking for and i've been trying to figure out a really easy way to pitch that and tell me if you approve if this is going to make the tagline of the blu-ray but i've been telling people it's fire TikTok with me mm. I definitely, definitely. <laughs> You're like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. No, and you know what we're doing here is we have a uh, paranormal crew who mm-hmm. uh, they're doing the thing that everybody's doing on YouTube, and honestly, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Where they're digging up uh, maybe somewhat true urban legends or like a rumor they had heard, and they, uh, you know, they're trying to make content out of it. Just in your film, you've kind of captured like the ghost adventures vibe. Like they feel way more serious. They've got real equipment. They're tied in with the local news, which we have to talk about later, and they're digging up a true crime thing. And uh, man, the way that you build that, that whole story through like mixed media, it feels like a TV show more than YouTube, but I don't know. It, there's so much going on there. And, and we're also dealing with one of my favorite themes in film, literature. It's if, if you go looking for trouble... You will find it. Yeah. And it's also, that's, thank you. That's the point I was trying to make. Fire TikTok with me is trying to capture like the new generation of children, but it's also the thing that everybody hated about Fire Walk with me, which is like nobody wants to look behind the picket fence. So, you know, I love the idea that this movie's jumping off point is hey, those missing kids, we found their phone and we don't like what they were filming. <laughs> dude, it's, it's, dude, I am so excited to share this with people. And uh, now I was calling you a nerd in the beginning because in an email I read that you had written to Thomas Burke, Thomas, we love you, who uh, connected us. You had mentioned that you shot this with over 30 different types of cameras. Am I correct there? That is correct. Yes. I didn't know there were 30 cameras. I didn't either. <laughs> well, you got to remember where, I mean, it, this, this started in 2010. So uh, this has been going on for that long. So essentially, I came from 35 millimeter film and I was hesitant to cross over to digital. And so the first camera used on this uh, was actually the updated model of the camera they used on Paranormal Activity. It was a Sony AX2000, which essentially I call a camcorder. Um, so that was the first camera. And that wasn't really a jump into digital. The, put it this way, the 5D had just came out. It's Canon 5D. This, it just came out. Uh, a DSLR was like a new word. And um, people were saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is this is this is going to be the wave. This is the way to go. This is the way found footage. I mean, not found footage, but this is the way uh, uh, movies are going to trend digital films too expensive. And so 
for me, that was the first camera. And then throughout the years, I just used every new camera that would come out. And essentially, when you talk about mixed media, you'll see it in the film. There is, you know, I I tried to make everything as seamless as possible. So it didn't seem like a million different cameras. But uh, yeah, there, there is there's well over 30 and, you know, seven or eight major brands. I used every I used the very first Alexa when it came out. And I used every single model of the Alexa up until a year and a half ago. Mamma mia. Now, Scott, would you consider yourself to be a gearhead? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, not, I didn't come out here. I, I just wanted to be a, a writer director. I didn't want to know anything about, um, a gear lens, like anything. And then, uh, the first couple, uh, films I did, there were short films, 35 millimeter, and I didn't have to know anything. I just wanted, you know, basically I have my viewfinder and kind of set up the shot and just composition. And I knew what I wanted, but, um, there was no need for a filmmaker back then um, to know anything other than, you know, directing your actors, directing the camera, whatnot. And then over the years, the industry has shifted to where, you know, you've got to learn cameras, lenses, um, know how to be a one man show, essentially uh, sure. edit. You know, I don't I didn't I didn't ever want to know how to edit or do sound design or score or anything like that. And over the years, just with the software and everything that's become so accessible to us. It's just, it's cheaper. It's, I mean, when I first started, everything was so expensive and now everything is just reasonably priced. A lot of people, you know, you can get cracked stuff off the internet and it's just, it's, it's easy to learn and it's fun. And so nothing I intentionally did, but now something I'm very much into gear, editing, software, uh, music, you know, sound design, score, things like that. And plus, you know, toys are fun, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now, especially now, because it's like every year we get, we get a new toy. It's like every three months, actually a new drone comes out every three months and it just makes you regret the last drone you just purchased. So yeah, it's, 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 it's been nice over the last like seven years because it's just sped up since 2008. Everything is just like sped up drastically technology wise. Now, Scott, um, because you're a gearhead, I have to ask you, have you watched the deep house? The deep house is the, do you know what that is? Is yeah. that the one with the, the Hulu movie with the house underwater? Yeah. No, that's the one. Yeah, I actually just watched that the other day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did? I did. I, did. Okay, I just watched it. I watched it because I solely wanted to see an underwater found footage film. I thought that would be really cool. And essentially, that's the way I, it was pitched to me, at least. Um, but it is it is a mixed. Uh, it's the first movie I've seen similar to ours that has a mixed version of like it opens, I think, with found footage that moves into kind of traditional yeah. composition. And you know what? Uh, it's funny because you talk about your movie taking 10 years to make. Actually, what, 12? 12. It's coming out this year. Here's the thing. We used to we used to get films submitted that would have elements that weren't found footage or in-world camera. And we would just be like, well, we can't show it. This is the first year we've opened it up. And we're calling it our hybrid selection. So, hey, man, the stars align there. This was yeah. perfect timing. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that was, that was one of my major... Um... Uh, worries is that you know uh in in 2010 the first version i did was kind of a proof of concept version all on that ax2000 very very low budget and um when that was finished you know we had such a small budget that i wasn't really able to complete the film and post the way i wanted to meaning there was no money for vfx and the practicals just weren't working and it was somewhat of a proof of concept but when the when we did the 2012 shoot, which was the big Alexa, big crew, kind of uh, a more intense shoot, I I really thought that, um, for me at least, um, this was going to be the most real 
found footage movie of all time. There is actually fake Facebook pages of these kids that died in 2012. You can go back. They're still active. And using KTLA, which is a big local news company here, I was trying to make the realest found footage. So it, it opened with the camera, you know, turning on and, and, and crashing out, you know, as, as most films did in the 2012 to 2014 range. Um, so that was the way it initially set out. And now over the years with the kind of the studio system and the industry here in LA has kind of shaped this movie into what it is now to where it has kind of a traditional standard opening and closing, even though I still kind of factor in the footage element and POV in those openings and, and the ending. Um, it is a drastically different film than I set out to make. I set out to really make, I mean, I was hardcore. I would judge people's movies and just be like, dude, <laughs> you, know, you can't have this camera angle. This doesn't make any sense. And so I had to figure out a way to kind of cheat that by making this kind of ghost hunter show, which allowed me to use score and things that you wouldn't be able to use. And I can use them kind of legally if you think about it, because I'm not really breaking the wall. It's an editor telling you, hey, she's making this as entertaining yep. as possible. Um, so I had to figure out creative ways to kind of maintain that footage, that feel. But yeah, it it is weird because I was such a diehard found footage purist in the early, between 2009 and 2015, that you know, I was against everything that broke the wall. And and now I'm trying to kind of make this kind of bridge piece, kind of a movie that kind of bridges both kind of a commercial appeal with like what I consider found footage purist interest. Well, are you still really rigid? Like if you watch a movie and they break a rule, are you like, I'm done? Um, I, I was at the beginning. Uh, Chronicle did it. Uh, <laughs> Chronicle yeah. did it at the end of the film. And the, the excuse, we were actually working with Ari Raw at the same time Chronicle. So we were shooting our 2012 version around the time Chronicle was. And I remember the excuse that they were using was, oh, at, at a certain, this is the studio's excuse. At a certain point in time, the audience gets so used to this style that you can do whatever. And I was like, that's <laughs> bullshit. I was like, that's bullshit. You cannot do it. So, so, you know, early on I was very, yes, I would just cut off a movie because people would send me movies and, you know, this is early on where it was, it felt very underground still. So you had to go to the internet and like some weird link and just watch this movie. Um, and so, you know, I remember being very strict on uh, the parameters I had set for what I consider to be a real film found footage film and, and and over the years I've kind of let that go because um the the newer kids now that are coming up um they're they're content kids they grow up with content constant yeah. content being delivered to them so they're There's really good more. at these short yeah they're good at these short bites and now with all this new technology and how well just a, an iPhone shoots you know what I mean like we've seen what Sean Baker and Soderbergh have done with an iPhone so we know it's capable it's it's exciting to see and I kind of feel like there's going to be some walls that are going to be broken, but they might be broken in a, in a good way, I guess, you know, so I, I'm no, more for, open now. For sure. I only asked you because I, I think there's even been a change in like found footage culture where, you know, like with paranormal activity, like after that wave started coming out, I think people really that's when it got stigmatized and people were just coming at like they're almost watching the films just to roast them. And I mean, that's kind of where a film fest was born. Where it's like there has to be people out here who just genuinely like them and they're not like nitpicking every dogma 95 rule they break. And I feel like now we're kind of there. I think people have loosened up a little bit. Like clearly if you don't give a fuck and you're not making an authentic attempt and you're just breaking rules, I mean, that just comes through and people will hate it. But I think now you can you can have background music in a film 
that just doesn't make sense and people won't like jump on reddit and be like hey this is garbage definitely yeah yeah authenticity early on was 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 huge and like i said you know the studio system just grabbed a hold of these found footage became a hot buzzword here in town as soon as paranormal you know once paranormal got all those signatures and got into theaters um that after the amount of money they made that just became the buzzword the hot word everybody wanted to make them and and i i they were cranking them out so fast that yeah. it was kind of hard to keep track. And I, I would say that through through the years, at least, um, the authenticity. Some are. I've always said found footage is exactly like it sounds. If you're walking down, because this has happened to me before. If you're walking down the street and you find a tape on the ground, right, <laughs> and on literally on the ground, you go home and you pop that in. The 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 things that you're watching are the the feelings that you feel being you know someone's like uh like like intimate moments i'm not talking about sexual things here but i'm saying like oh, you know you're seeing you're seeing um uh, candid moments of people and <laughs> what and was on the tape you feels, found <laughs> the, uh, it was actually a uh, uh, two, two guys hunting they were hunting this is like in uh what? 1996. Really 19, 1996. <laughs> 1996. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety six. Two guys hunting, hunting in the woods. Yes. Have you? They ever were hunting. Like, no, no. This is ninety six. It was just something that impacted me early on. I think I just saw Blair. I was very young. I just saw Blair Witch in the theater, and uh, I found this tape. I also lived in Maryland, close to those Burkittsville woods, and I oh, grew up rad. kind of those woods. So Blair Witch hit me kind of hard. And, uh, yeah, I found the tape. So just, just little things that made me think of like the authenticity of kind of what I consider start, stop recording. That's the editing style you need to follow is Ooh. your camera's constantly starting and stopping. And a lot of people have kind of let that go and kind of forgotten about that for, for be, also because like transition packs and editing packs. Now people want the coolest transitions and it's really just trying to get as simple and back to basic as just, Hey, I've got a camera. I'm stopping. I'm starting. I'm stopping. I'm starting. That is your editing process right there. We have talked to so many people from Maryland. Yeah. I'm going to say too many. Yeah. Okay. Yo, keep, keep your old bay in your crab cakes. Over there. <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah. So I, I only lived there for a couple of years, but uh, uh, my girlfriend's from Manhattan. Anytime we go there, we drive down and we do go to Chesapeake Bay and we do eat crab. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you got to do it. You got to do it. Man, it's incredible how many like people end up making found footage films from that area. So too. many. We've talked to so many. And with the stop start recording, like the editing style, I believe uh, the late great Eric Christopher Myers had figured that out with what he had the camera where you press a button, right? And it will start recording. So when yeah. you let it go, it would stop. And I'm like, I feel like that was a really easy way to transition into that. But now, Scott, there's so many things I want to ask you about. I'm going to go back to when I brought up the deep house because I need clarity from a gearhead. What the hell was that underwater drone they were using? I, I have no idea to be honest. I actually just watched this a couple of nights ago in a hotel room. So it's it's funny you bring this up. So it's fresh in my mind, but uh, I don't know. I was interested in the film because I was like, holy shit, it's underwater. I mean, just, just another, yeah. just, you know, anytime there's something slightly different, uh, it interests me, especially in the genre. And um, I don't know. I've, it makes zero sense, but I guess, <laughs> I guess, you know, the, the little wrist thing, watch thing he had that would yeah. just control it. It was almost like a futuristic robot that he could tell what to do and it would just do it. And so like, to me, there was, I mean, I think the audience, a lot of the audience could buy it, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it was cool to see a house underwater and it kind of being shot in that way. But I, I don't know what was up with that, that uh, underwater. Okay, now, I've never, I've know, never heard you, of that. I've seen, I've seen remote, like I've seen. 
uh, you know, Canon cameras in underwater housing with these little like propeller remotes where they help scuba divers go along. You know oh. what I mean? But I, I've never actually seen something like that. And I definitely never seen an interface like what he had on his watch. That was complete bullshit. So, <laughs> see, you're the perfect one to talk to because, I mean, we do talk to a lot of found footage filmmakers, but mostly they're, you know, aspiring filmmakers who get into the genre because of budgetary reasons. Yet you're a director who actually has worked with the studio system here. And I feel like the Deep House is a weird mix of like, like when we're making found footage, there are different approaches you can take. And one I like to do when we do like writing for companion pieces at off or anything, I like to find reality and bury fiction in it. And I think that's a good way to get people to question like what's real, like with you and all the um, Facebook, like missing kid ads. It's, you know, you're tricking people and you're bringing them into a different reality. So when you see a movie like deep house and there's, it's like, okay, was that a studio shot? Or do you think that was a real location? Oh, that, that was, so there was there was a lot of questions I had the whole time. So, you know, I could clearly tell they were underwater for parts of it, but like everything was just sitting on the ground normally. Nothing was really floating. There was only about a couple objects floating. So even like a tablecloth was laying yeah. right. And I was like, what the hell? Wouldn't the tablecloth like kind of drift up a little bit? So I don't know. I, I don't know. But <laughs> to, to, to me, to me, a lot of it, it it's tricky now because um, uh, uh, visual effects, CGI has gotten a lot cheaper and people have just gotten so much better. Like the, this generation coming up, these kids are like 17 and just killing it right now. So I don't know that they, they could have pulled one over on me. I thought it was definitely at least partially real, probably about 10 feet underwater. They probably built it for safety purposes, but um, it, it was very weird that things weren't floating the way they should be underwater. I'm not quite sure how they did that. Well, that's because the ghost wouldn't let the things float. <laughs> they bring that up in the movie. Oh, like, oh, they do. They <laughs> yeah, actually, you know that that's one of the reasons why I'm so smitten with the film was just you know it's a new reality. Clearly, some of that stuff was in a lake because they had like concrete stairs going down. You're like, whoa, that's gnarly looking anyway. Yeah. But then even just the story building, like I mean, there are tropes as old as times with haunted house movies, and in that one, they're like, hey, the books aren't degraded like they're just wet <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it like, oh the ghosts yeah. are keeping them alive i yes yeah. yes yeah yes. so i'm bummed to hear that you don't think that drone is real because i'm like how have i, I mean, never heard of that th yeah there's there's i mean i i definitely have not seen it uh, that's for sure not not yet at least and 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 definitely I can definitely tell you the watch interface was not real. That's the one thing that just that <laughs> just seems too, too elaborate for for right now. Maybe five years from now, but but who knows? I could be wrong on that. There could be someone someone could uh, uh, comment in here and just say, "Hey, there's here's the fucking link to the drone right here," and just prove us all wrong. Man, would that movie be a logistical nightmare to make, like with the studio system? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for 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 me, I, I there's you know the old the old thing was uh, you know animals and kids. Never with animals and kids. Uh, to me, it's it's water. It's water. Water's the trickiest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I, I would not. And I, I'm a water person. I grew up on the water. I love the water. But I, I would never shoot a film involving uh, that much water. That's for sure. But I I did like the way it it opened. It kind of had the. Um, um, Chernobyl Diaries kind of feel the way it kind of opened with this kind of montage and then just kind of it, it felt uh, uh, natural kind of organic moving into kind of the, the standard filmmaking that 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 it did so I, I, I will give it props for that I don't want to bash the movie or anything like that and it was no. a cool idea I see I love the movie but I think 
you did what I like more. Now they use uh, vloggers to kind of they use vloggers as a character. So whenever we're not in found footage, we're dealing with like their romantic life and kind of like who they are. And it's kind of got that like foreign highbrow kind of indie film thing going. And then we move into the the gut of the movie and it's kind of like low light entertainment horror. And I think it's kind of like, I don't know, for audiences, it's weird where you kind of went the reverse route. Like instead of having heavy exposition or like boring, like, you know, pertinent dialogue, we have uh, vloggers who, you know, when you're on YouTube, the first thing you do is you tell people what you're doing. Like you got to get them hooked. And then we move into the footage. So you're kind of like primed. And then when the footage, like when the mixed media kind of true crime stuff you're doing, when we get into it, you're like, oh, this is kind of fucking heavy. And then we go to a, would you call it a rave or I know it's a birthday party, but it's, it's definitely, it definitely was a rave. Yes, it was a rave. There was a lot of, yeah, it was, it was, it was a kind of an old school rave too. It's what we would call an old school rave in like a warehouse. Um, so and, now, and that was in 2012, but now you all didn't just roll into a rave, right? Or did you, did you set we that did. whole thing we up did. for the shoot? Well, we, we, well, 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 okay. So, so, so we knew the owner, uh, uh, who was throwing the rave and a lot of the DJs performing at the rave. So we had all access and we had, uh, we had, uh, uh, a couple people running behind with release forms. So anybody we caught on camera or did an interview with or talked to or whatever, just getting releases signed left and right. So yeah, so we kind of crashed it. It wasn't like, that was a real show that people paid money to go see artists. And we were just, you know, going around the whole time with the camera. Now there's a montage of one of your character, uh, kissing ladies on the floor. Uh, they yeah. weren't yeah. casted. That was authentic. No, no. Those are authentic. Yeah. Those are authentic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, you know, here's the problem. Your, your movie's so fucking polished that it's almost got the like reverse effect where normally whenever we see a moment like that, the audience will be like, whoa, is this real? Where yours, it's like, it can't be real. Everything looks so perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, okay. Now, now that I like can recontextualize this. So that DJ was a real DJ, the one that, uh, the murder guy. Now in the back, mm -hmm. I believe uh, one of our boys is talking to him. He's like, hey man, is it really your birthday? And he's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, hell yeah. So did your actor lie to him? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So essentially we, t uh, uh, the DJ's name was 12th planet. Yeah. He's like a fairly big DJ and we essentially, um, just told him, Hey, can you just say, uh, what's up to him after the show? Uh, um, because technically his character, his dad is the one throwing the rave. The Torrance family is very wealthy. His dad's the big sponsor of the rave. So he's kind of like the rich kid who gets the all access pass and gets to talk to the artists and stuff like that. And so I just said, Hey, can you just wish him happy birthday? And, uh, and yeah, so it was a lie, but I mean, it just, you know, you're, <laughs> again, you're trying to get, uh, you know, the most authentic stuff. But, you know, what's funny about the rave is, you know, that was initially about a 45 minute sequence. I probably have a three hour cut version of the party bus and the rave. And that took up about 45 minutes in the movie. But while we were shooting it, uh, one of our extras came up to me and said, hey, I just came from another set. Um, that's just like your movie. It's it's this guy with the camera and he's following his friends around and it's like a party movie and it's really fun and we're doing it over on the Warner Brothers lot. And I was like, oh yeah, what the fuck is that called? She's like, Project X. And I was like, holy shit. So I looked oh, up Project wow. X and I, we had a friend that was actually in the movie and, I t and they were like, oh yeah, this is, a big, this is a big deal. Warner Brothers were on the back lot. It's a big party movie. There was you know, big people involved. And so I was like, damn it, they're going to come out before us. It's going to look like we just tried to rip them off. Because, you know, this was really initially the tagline for this film was party, then die. And oh. it was literally 
45 minutes of partying and then 30 minutes of dying. That's really what it was <laughs> essentially. So, 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 you know, you know, I had to, that sequence initially, my first cut, like what I presented to everybody, I was like, here's a three hour version of the rave. And it, and it was, you know, super found footage. You stop, st- you know, stop, start, record all authentic. Um, and then we cut that down to 45 minutes. And then after we found out about the project X thing, cause this is still in 2012, 2013, I cut it down to, I think 20 minutes. And then I think in the now film, you see the party bus and the rave, it's under th- two and a half minutes. Yeah. All together, I believe. Now, so just weird. You're, you're clearly a very um, systematic thinker and a gearhead. So when you're crashing a rave, were you like out in a van monitor, monitoring it like remotely or were you on the floor with a camera? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, um, you know, I've, attended many of these in my lifetime oh. uh, so 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 I, and again the friends that are, fr- dj friends of ours were friends of ours because of this whole system i actually did a, a documentary a couple of years ago on electronic dance music so you know i'm very familiar with this so yeah we were we were um participating in every sense of the word um essentially uh, dude you got an there. edm doc yeah <laughs> animated it's not out yet it's it's animated in 3d it's like it's like rotoscope like uh scanner darkly what the f- i now i am a huge fan <laughs> of rotoscope so i am sold <laughs> i come from the ralph bocce uh department though with all the old fantasy animation where they couldn't afford to actually animate so they rotoscope so i'm i'm here for it also yeah, i know nothing forever, about EDM. yeah i mean it, it was just it was just really just uh, uh uh, a genre that kind of came out, especially here in LA, and, and and you guys know it in the Bay Area as well. Or somewhere around 2010, the indie scene just turned into this kind of uh, dubstep, got really big, and then EDM just exploded. And I thought it was going to be a bubble that was going to burst. So the no whole way. project was yeah. about the whole project was about a bubble bursting, and instead it just keeps going. And now it's solidified. It's like hip hop. Hip hop came out. We all thought it was going to be a bubble. It solidified. Now we can't even remember when we thought hip hop was a bubble. And and uh, so yeah, that's that's basically what it is. But yeah, it'll it'll be out some sometime in the near future. Now I myself have been to a couple of raves. The only ones I've ever been to though had a map that you had to pick up at a designated parking lot spot, and then you drive up into the mountains, and then you get lost for two and a half hours, and by the time you find it, you feel gross and don't want to do anything. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of the interviews. I wanted people like you to tell me that story because oh, I, okay. I never I never got to to experience that personally. The 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 stuff I was doing out here in LA were just friends that were DJs who we would just go and just kind of hang out and they just kind of became a fan that way. But those amazing stories where you would dial a phone number, it would send you to an address, you would be at a street corner, a guy would hand you a flyer, you would go up to, you know, the you know, th- those stories are amazing. So a, a lot of people spoke about those. So I'm very jealous of that. I wish I would have been able to uh, have, especially in the Bay Area, that a lot of people came from the Bay Area talking about those specific kind of set of rules to these, these secret uh, uh, places. Yeah, it's weird because you'd go out into the wilderness and then to find like a little uh, electrical oasis. And everything was always so loud that you're like, how is this not going to get shut down? (laughs) And also, I was a huge square. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I did nothing. Well, it's hip to be square. You know, that's a fair point. And I think I was probably trying to channel that. Yeah. Like where I'm like, I'm cool. I just showed Huey Lewis guy you are. I just followed this map to this distant uh, oasis so I would not participate because that's how cool I was. This is this is completely (laughs) foreign to me. Yeah. And upon my first. taking in of this information i hate it 
<laughs> I would hate this. Dude, they had a fire juggler at a couple of the ones I went I'm to. I'm back in. Okay. <laughs> Pin Gillette was there? Yeah. No, so I'm, dude, I'm so fascinated with like crafting faux reality. And, you know, your film, again, when I, when we would hang out and watch Amazon Prime and start a movie and be like, I think this is found footage, because I'm sure so many people do that. You're trying to, like, if a movie has a very, like, fact-heavy title, like, like uh, File 82 from the doc, you, you know, like, you're like, okay. Or the word tapes in it. Or the word tapes. Yeah. Tapes yeah. is Dude. I wrote, so back when I was blogging, I wrote a very angry blog post oh, about, uh, about the Vatican tapes. Because I showed up to that movie and me and Oksana went and we're like, dude, Vatican tapes. Fuck yeah. Found footage movie in a theater. Not found footage. It was <laughs> highly produced <laughs> yeah. garbage. And yeah, I'm there yeah. and I'm like, you don't put tapes in your name if you're not going to be an in-world yeah. camera feature. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what I was getting at was you open with some of the most confusing, like, it's like, okay, it's in-world camera. And then it's not. But then they do the thing that we want where they all sit down and review footage. And it's, I almost get the same vibe from a um, anthology horror movie where it's like, I've met all the characters and now I'm going to sit down with them and review the footage. Except usually it's not like a well-produced YouTube video that, uh, that features real news broadcast. Now we have to talk about that on this show. Me and Clark hate CG fire and we hate indie <laughs> like green screen news broadcast oh i hate it i hate it so much i'm with you guys yeah i mean yes the indie part but also you'll see it in an infinite budget (laughs) film to where they can't get the news thing right and it's such a like it's such a specific thing and it's clear that you took painstaking efforts to try to avoid that i think they're real yeah so you use ktla yeah yeah so that's that's a thing so i I, i'm in the same boat with you guys nothing pissed me off more than just cheesy lower third graphics of some fake news channel and a horrible (laughs) newscaster some shitty you know great wait it's it's, um i'm yeah you're totally fine you're free to move about the camera okay yeah so just this is the green screen background and so for me um here in la you know we have uh uh you know just like everybody else, you have your CBS, your NBC, your ABC, which is your your, your broad locals. But uh, here are we have like two locals, and and, and one of them is KTLA, and um, KTLA for me was just something I would I would watch, uh, you know, in the mornings or at night before I go to sleep, and it would come on, and so I was very used to it. And so for me, it was like, hey, I wonder if we can reach out to KTLA, and especially Rick Chambers. Now, Rick Chambers is somebody who's done a bunch of movies. You know what I mean? He's in all. Yeah. He's he's the guy in all those movies that that you see those big those big blockbuster movies. So, you know, it, it was one of those things where I knew he would be familiar to people. One, but two, I knew you know using it especially for everybody here in la they see it and they freak out they're like holy shit because they're so used to ktla uh people across the country i don't know if that's really going to translate but it was very very important to me i mean those are again going into the 30 cameras those are actually the the ktla studio cameras we shot on and uh, that's actually the guy who operates the camera normally and that's rick chambers in their whole setup i just wrote the dialogue they put it on the teleprompter i think he knocked out in two takes like wow. literally two takes. And the second take was safety. I mean, he just killed it. It was so, I literally showed up prepped for a whole day at KTLA. I was sick. I remember. And um, <laughs> 20 minutes later, I'm out of there. That's how professional they were. And how professional Rick was, they just nailed it. It's what they do. 
he's he's been a newsman for a hundred years <laughs> yeah it's one of those things like yes uh i think that there's definitely going to be a level of familiar at least up here like we're certainly up in the bay area we're aware of ktla and rick chambers uh just because you do see him in movies but even if you don't have that sort of uh familial knowledge of that when you see him come on screen there is there is no doubt that he's not a newsman no, totally. And so I think that that's a huge level of 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 trust there of like yeah, there it's this is not an actor like this is a news Wait, guy. You're channeling Ghostwatch there. That's the first thing I thought of. Are you familiar with uh, Leslie Manning's Ghostwatch? No. So um very briefly in uh the, what the 90s there was a um 89-90. There was a live broadcast on Halloween from the most haunted area in London. And um, it was faked. They pre-recorded it. But hmm. the thing is, they had all BBC. It was hosts. a BBC production. Yeah, they produced oh, it. So, so and it was all BBC news presenters. And they uh, they they tricked them. And they sold it. And they were buying into some really outlandish. Oh wait, shit. wait! I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. You're, you're right. The BBC. Yes, you're right. This this. When did this? Uh, when did this? It was like ninety six. Or something? Oh, I thought it was early nineties. Right, but 92. when did this like this hit digital at own. some point? Right, this hit a digital streaming service at some point. It was on Shutter. It did, and then went Shutter. away. And you can't currently. Yep. I uh, last yeah. I checked, you can't find it. So anymore. yeah, yeah, I saw it whenever it hit. The, I, I I know what you're talking about. I I, it, I think it bored me. I think it was boring. I think <laughs> sure. it was boring. That's fair. I think it was boring. I don't know. Dude. I don't know if I'm talking about the right one. But if it was the BBC real footage, I was like, holy shit, this is real. And I thought it was real. And I think it was just too boring for me. Here's the thing. It's not written to be a movie. And uh, there's a documentary. God, we had uh, the filmmaker. What's his name? The director of that. I don't mm. know. Put it in post. Look it up, Oksana. He, he made a documentary about them making the film. And the thing is, I just wanted to warn you, when you're playing Icarus over there and you get these real news anchors, <laughs> get ready. Because when you trick an audience that hard, they get fucking angry. And, <laughs> and that's good. And they were just talking about how the BBC tried to walk that movie back and how people were calling 911 because they thought their microwave was being affected. Oh my goodness. And, and you know, again, it's not written to be a traditional movie because it was a live broadcast. So I've shown that film to friends. I remember, God, we had like eight people over here when we used to review movies. And uh it couldn't hold their attention. They were getting angry. And they're like, what the fuck is this? And it wasn't until I kind of told them the story after that they're like, oh. I feel kind of rude. That's kind of like a historical movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you being bored with it, I mean, I, well, I, th I think I could be speaking on, on on a different film. I did, I do remember at some point in time because I was so deep into this and I wanted to see everything that was coming out possible during the years of post in this, uh, the early years, especially. I, I do think I did see it at one point in time. I just don't think it was one of the movies I finished. I think it was I started. I, I remember there being some kind of authenticity with BBC stuff because um there was another very boring, but I love it. It's one of my favorite found footage movies of all time called Lake, Lake Mungo, I think is what it's called. Lake sure. Mungo. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, everybody's like, I recommend it. People are like, oh, this is so boring. I fell asleep. To me, it's just like so in depth. I remember it feeling kind of like that. We're slow, right? It was sl a slower yeah. type. Yep. It's an investment film. Yeah. You, you got to put in a little bit of uh, equity in there, but it's going to yeah. pay off. Yeah. Well, it's it's paced like a documentary too. Yeah. yeah. So unless you're well, same kind of, with Norai, yeah. that's a two hour epic. Well, Norai's got the. Uh, it's a little bit different because they set up with a documentary who, uh, you know, the original 
director died because the subject matter should not be touched. So you kind of have an elevated urgency from the very get yeah. where this one, it's just kind of like, you don't know where you're going. And uh, just, just so um, Scott, you feel a little bit easier. Don't worry. Calling these movies boring. Cause we get it a lot where people are like, Oh, that movie was fucking boring. It's so it's no, yeah, Scott's it's not well, going to make a boring movie. <laughs> it's it's well, the thing is, it's it's it. it this is a, a different Scott talking in ten years ago. It really just comes from uh, the way the times have changed. Essentially, so my my favorite type of uh, kind of the newer style of of horror movie is these slow burns. I absolutely love them. I absolutely, I mean, oh, they could okay. be two two and a half hours. I love them. The thing for me is in this genre of uh, found footage the the patience factor and the attention span has gotten so short that um uh, again i'm going to have to say it with content kids and and you know we've test audience this movie for for age ranges and i can tell you that this movie you know i it's it's 85 minutes and i think 10 minutes of our credits so you know it's it's as short as possible and as tight as i could possibly get it to keep you engaged because again feedback over the years it just happens i mean you know, early on, it was just like, man, you've got an hour long documentary. This shit is boring. You know, that's before I incorporated the kind of ghost hunters type show. And I incorporated that solely because that was becoming very popular. Ghost hunter TV shows were just all over the place. They made like a hundred of them got greenlit in one year after the the, the big one blew up. And so um, I knew that that was something people could relate to. And again, it was kind of a, a delivery device to deliver the found footage inside of. So I wanted to make it famil a familiar box. So if you're familiar with Ghost Hunter shows, I could give you this footage inside of this to make you feel more better about the way I'm delivering it to you and then try to keep the pacing as quick as I possibly can to keep you engaged. And that's just something that has been shaped with this film over the years as audiences have changed. Man, uh, and again, you you have to be talking about ghost adventures, right? Absolutely. What, yeah. Now, I think what our second guest on the show ever was a uh, paranormal investigator. I believe the fourth, but okay, yeah, he I'm was. Not, I'm not going to quibble. Some very answers. early. Nobody needs to go back and check those out. But uh, he would talk about going to conventions, like paranormal conventions, and everybody was kind of like, you know, a dad whose child moved out and they got a new hobby, and everybody's kind of interested, or you'd have kind of like psychics or people who are like in the in the mm. i don't know what do you call that the culture and then there was um zach baggins who would drive up in a like red ferrari and get out and everybody was just like we got to do that and how it just changed the culture so you you definitely tapped right into it and the great thing about that again is you know found footage movies a lot of the time you don't want to give context and a lot of the story is um put on the audience to discover but with with paranormal investigators, they're right there. They give you everything right up front, very directly into the camera, and you're just free to go because exposition can be a bitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and I, I totally agree. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where, again, with with horror films in general, you have what we call like you know forced. You, you have to force certain things in certain areas, right? And yeah, always that's at the point where the audience either checks out or says, I like this. And a lot of times they check out. We're like, oh, this is forced exposition. This feels funny. It's random. And all of a sudden happened in the middle of this weird scene. I'm checking out. I'm, I'm, I'm switching it off. I'm walking on the theater. And so, you know, the, the ghost hunter shows, at least for me, 
when they started blowing up and like you said especially with uh, zach you know coming in as kind of like a rock star in this in this yeah. it was also just if you looked at the production value of their shows their edits their opening credit sequence all of it had this cool feel i remember for me like the scariest show when I was a little kid was called Unsolved Mysteries. And like yep. the opening of it was just like this badass, like 80s synth wave. And it was just like this <laughs> scary, just a scary like show to me. But it was the product, uh, to me at least, it was, it was done really well. And I, I know his show in particular was one of the main things that I just kept watching and watching and watching because I was trying to, just for that one little section in the film, it really, when it comes to just that little, that fake credit sequence for, for the Paranormal Files for their show, I was just trying to figure out a way of like, uh, uh, again, being familiar to that audience. And so, again, finding out different ways to, to deliver it because, you know, I, I will say it, at a certain point out here, you know, we, we, because we started when found footage was a hot word at a certain point around 2016, it was a bad word. And you had to like, you like studios were like, ah, we've seen too many of these. We bought too many of these. There's a million of these out right now. Like we're just not interested. And and you've got, I mean, we were called the Malibu tapes for the longest time. Oh um, yeah. And then a bunch of tape movies came out. You, you, you named one Vatican, a bunch of movies. And we said, okay, fuck this. They're going to think we're copying this. We're going to, we're going to drop this, this, this title. And, um, you know, now we kind of have this weird like B movie grindhouse title. That's the way I look at Malibu Horror Story. Sounds like that. But again, I didn't even title the film. You know what I mean? That was again shaped it shaped by kind of uh, uh, the the moving industry at the time. Now you mentioned 2016 kind of being a turning point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How much did the Blair Witch and that whole Woods debacle kind of like play into that? So you know, I, I would say that uh, one thing I will say is when we test. When we did the test audience, the the before they even got to see the movie, when they just saw kids in woods and camping, the audience was yeah. like not really interested. And we were like, oh shit, this is something that was really, really cool has now been overdone. And the market, at least, you know, so many films came out from the studio systems, Paramount in particular, and then Blumhouse just kind of ran the gamut. They all just it was so much at one time and they were making so much money that they were just churning out. They were grabbing anything they possibly could to really put in these theaters. And again, it was underground prior to that. This was the big commercial peak. And then it went back underground. But once it went back underground, at least for me, when it came to the wood scenario, that's when I said, um, I looked at a movie, uh, that I liked, um, called the descent. And I was like, yeah. I got, I got to make a cave movie because I had too much woods in this movie. I had way too much woods in this movie. <laughs> um, and, and, and again, you know, I, I, I understood it because I would go home and turn on Amazon prime. And just like you guys be like, I think this is a found footage movie. Start it. And again, it's just a bunch of kids running around the woods with a flashlight. And at a certain point in time, that that's just going to get overdone. And, and, and again, people are using iPhones and just, you know, people trying to be retro, use like a 90s Sony Handycam and stuff. But again, I don't know how many times we can actually look at that. So for me, the cave was the main source to say, okay, I can't really name that many cave movies. I thought The Descent was a phenomenal film. And um, I really wanted to, to my, my pull from The Descent were the glow sticks. I wanted to like yeah. make the cave look different because again, the cave movies that I did see, they all looked the same. It was this drab kind of dark flashlight in a cave look. So I kind of wanted to give it some, some, some color. But, you know, again, we shifted out of that era from 2016 because there was so much feedback at that time because it had literally like a stock. It had crashed and went back underground. It's just like music, right? It gets commercial for a while. There's a selling out factor even in this for the found footage purist. Yep. And then it went back underground. And underground is where the best ideas are going to happen, of course.
Now, I have to bug you about it because you're in the studio system, but we had a theory that we were working on over here. And in 2016, um, that's, you know, Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard got together and they made The Blair Witch. And at Comic-Con, they had hit it as the woods and it didn't do great. I remember I was pumped. We saw it at the Alamo. They gave out enamel pins as a stick man. It was incredible. I loved it. I actually think they made exactly what every bitching audience member took away from uh, the Blair Witch Project was, you know, there's no witch, nothing happens, blah, blah, blah. And they they answered everything and kept it in world. So I think they made the sequel that, you know, the Internet cried about and it didn't go over well. But yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Dude, I loved it. I thought it was great. I like um, I think Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard, they they get it. They understand. And with like VHS, you know, one of the things that happened to found footage is we're not really lingering in like voyeurism anymore. And that first VHS was really like I know a lot of the critiques was how misogynist it was. But I'm kind of like, I felt like that's what they were tapping into. It's like they want to make an audience feel uncomfortable. Like, should I be watching this? Should I turn it off? And yeah. it's there's a negotiation there. But still, um, after the faces of death up. faith is a, do you remember faces exactly. of death it felt oh, like hell yeah. yeah dude uh cinema sewer a uh, magazine out of canada did a breakdown of every type like traces of death like all of them and it was really interesting to read because by the end of it that the author was just like i don't know if i can do this anymore <laughs> yeah. because as you know faces of death had a lot of faux reality in it like everybody's favorite yeah, monkey absolutely. in the table yeah absolutely but all the pretenders started being like well, that's a critique. So it started turning more and more into like war footage and executions. <laughs> and yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> it got off the rockers really good. You're so right. Dude. And it's like, so this isn't what people wanted, yeah. even though it's literally what you sold them. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. But still, um, I feel like the last big, it wasn't really big, but the last studio made found footage film that hit theaters was Phoenix Forgotten. Did you check that one out? Absolutely. Yeah. Phoenix. So, so that was, is actually, the, the reason why that one was studied by me so much is because it was released by a uh, a smaller distributor after the wave had ended and was kind of risky. I remember the 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 budget plus P and A was around three and a half four million dollars, and they really needed to make that. Whoa! They really needed to make that money. And um, for me, again, I went and saw it. You know, in, in the theater. And again, trying to to hope that, you know, we're, we're sitting here with the movie still in post, still kind of tweaking. And we're hoping that this 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 continues on, of course, you know what I mean? At least at least the the uh, the commercial success, the financial success of these films. But Phoenix Forgotten was one of those ones because the gallows was the last big one that really hit That's right that hit that hit because it made 20 million here in the States and 20 million overseas. And that hit and that was extremely low budget. And I, I, I you know, I, you know feel how you want about the film it kind of ended that and then there's these trickling little pieces that came after phoenix forgotten you are correct was uh was the one that just made a lot of audience members say enough is enough i'm done and and you know i again i thought the the phoenix lights is one of the coolest things i mean if you watch any like ancient aliens or any of the things on tv the phoenix anything on phoenix lights is very very interesting and the the so I thought it could have been better, but I thought, I mean, it was the first found footage movie where the the sound, I mean, I think I saw it some megaplex theater here in LA that was very, very loud. And I remember the sound towards the end, the sound design was just epic. And I was like, dude, yeah. this sounds incredible. And that that is, 
I can say I pulled from that to say like, man, we can push, you know, sound design because, you know, shitty audio is the biggest problem with found footage for most of the, most of the, the, the era of it. But when I heard that, because there was another one too, it was like the fourth kind, which was kind of mixed, a uh, mixed, oh, you know, mixed. Mosh, not you know? A fan. Yeah. But, but, but the, 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 the sound, some of the sounds were just incredible and, and definitely hearing it in a theatrical setting. Again, it kept making me think that these films need to be seen in theaters. I kept saying that over and over. Again. Hey, absolutely. That's how we got here because yeah. I, I used to argue like, I, you know, I'm lucky to have a little group of friends that like horror movies and I would always be championing found footage. And they'd be like, nah, it, it's whack. And I'm like, well, you're watching it wrong. You have to be in the room. You have to pay attention. You got to have the music loud. Like the audio is really immersive. And if you're doing like some alternate reality stuff and you're really trying to be absorbed by this film, you got to lend yourself to it. So Phoenix Forgotten crushed. I remember being in the theater. I loved it. Also, mm -hmm. I can confirm without a doubt, the Phoenix Lights is the only interesting thing about Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, while we're talking about sound design, now when uh, Thomas Burke uh, put me on uh, the Malibu Horror Radar, he was telling me a little bit about your sound design. So can you like run us through that process and who you collaborated with? Yeah. So essentially, you know, when this started in, in 2012, we were working with Paula Fairfield, who's done like Lost, Game of Thrones, all of Robert Rodriguez's movies. So she was bringing in just these incredible kind of animalistic, kind of like borderline, you know, uh, sci-fi Jurassic Park sounds she had. Oh. She had this, a lot of these, these, these. So we took a lot of those, manip manipulated those. And then we had, um, uh, my composer, Josh Lim, he came in because I was very obsessed with um, some of the newer films um, in the theaters, the um, the James Wan, uh, Insidious and Conjuring. Uh, I think his name is Joseph Bashir. I don't know how to say his last name properly, but he had this 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 crazy kind of sound design that reminded me of the 80s a little bit. And um, so it was trying to combine those two kind of um kind of sounds and themes and, and then manipulate it to make it our own. And again, push kind of the limits on a level as well, <laughs> try yeah. to push it. So if you watch this movie loud in a theater, I mean, we just got a new five, one mix done uh, at PhotoChem here. And it is, it is, we just heard it at the Chinese theater here now. And it, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So we pushed the limit on it, but yeah, we, we really went to town with sound design and uh, Paula Fairfield and Josh Lim did a, a fantastic job for us. Man. Sound design is so important. And it's one of those, it, that's got to be a thankless damn job. Because when you do your work right, nobody's even thinking about you. Sure. <laughs> I want to jump in here. Um, and, you know, sound design, obviously very important. Another thing is very important uh -oh. is location. So um, I want to know about the caves, um, yeah. Scott. So first thing, I hate caves. I don't trust them. I don't yeah. want to go anywhere near a cave. One time when I was a child. We went to this uh, cave place. <laughs> I threw a fit. I don't, I, I hate, I like Nick Cave. I like the Bat Cave. Those are the oh two caves God. that I sign off on. So, what, like, what was the location scouting with that? I mean, how many right. caves did you have to go dig through? Uh, yeah. How many days of shooting were you in there? Right. So, well, you would love this. So, we actually did use the Bat Cave, the original Adam West Bat Cave, right below the Hollywood sign in Bronson Park. Uh, Get out of here. here and, uh, yes, that is the original Bat Cave, the Adam West Wait, Bat Cave. Is it a real Bat Cave or is that a studio thing? 
it's no, it's an actual real structure that Adam Whoa, West, Batman used, cool. and uh, uh, tons of movies have used it. So, like, uh, if, if there's a, a random scene at the end of Cabin Fever where all of a sudden he's in a cave, like dying, that's the same cave. Uh, it's been in like a million movies, but everybody chooses to use it differently because it really is just one entrance and one exit. And um, you can put up green screen backdrops like we did and kind of make the cave look like it goes on infinite and things like that. So that was the, the one cave we used. Again, this is very weird. It's right below the Hollywood sign on Bron- in Bronson Park. And it is a real structure. It is it is kind of crumbling now, but it is a it, it is a real structure. Um, and then the sec the main cave that we used was built for a TV show called Weeds. It's in Santa Clarita on a um, okay, uh, uh, like <laughs> a uh, uh, what do you, you got call too it, excited though? for that? <laughs> like like yeah yeah. So it's built down location where they have like you know a mini coliseum, like an army base. They have all the different things. I, I can't think of the name right now. What what those are actually called? But essentially, we got that cave, um, and it was only so big, and so we just kept building onto it and building onto it, and. Um, trying to make it as twisty and turny as possible. Because for weeds, it was just like one entrance, like a hideaway and then in an exit. So we wanted to make a bunch of, so we, we built onto that cave. And so we spent pretty much the entirety of the shoot um, in those two caves, essentially. And this is before we had to wear masks for COVID. So we just had masks on because, you know, it was so dusty and dirty because these are real caves, real dirt. I mean, the one we built isn't real, but it's real dirt, real everything. Plus, I've got a fog machine guy coming and fogging the whole thing up and a guy sweeping to get the dirt up in the air and stuff like that. So it, it was quite difficult. Very... um couple times I had almost panic attacks from just being kind of somewhat claustrophobic oh, after like a 12, yeah. 13 hour day. Um, and you just got to step outside and get fresh air. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of coughing up dirt and stuff and things like that. And it was, it was it, you know, it was difficult, but um, you know, uh, it's it's kind of it's 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 definitely cooler to shoot in a camera. I mean, we scouted a lot of places that were farther out. There's not a lot here in Los Angeles. Uh, we we looked at places in Kentucky and Tennessee and 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 uh, New Mexico that were probably way better caves. But these were more of a controlled environment for us, and so it, it worked out. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it again. I'm done with caves, probably permanently. <laughs> sure. That's an excellent call. Well, the problem with caves is now I'm a I'm a fan of fantasy. And, you know, a lot of dungeons start in it and, you know, their whole entirety is in a cave. Nothing good has ever happened in a cave. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The problems that you encounter in a dungeon are like man-made or there's a crazy wizard who's like brought monsters in. The problem with real life caves is the dangers are real and they're very boring. Also, it's like California it- is God's Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But dude, no, like like you said, you don't want to breathe in shit. Uh, claustro- being claustrophobic is a problem. Yeah, as a Robin like, Williams show. Uh, <laughs> cave-ins, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm trying to power through that Robin Williams thing. But Scott, you, you have to be our ambassador. Now, you know, we run a found footage horror fest and we, to you, please just let people know when they make a studio found footage film, what we want is authenticity. And I think you you nailed it with like the rave portion and the mixed media and kind of anchoring the and film. the news and yeah and well just having vloggers like kind of like all the editing and everything is done through these like twenty year olds who you know are kind of partying in a cave yeah <laughs> and it's like I feel like whenever studio films take it on they it's overwrought like they overthink things it becomes kind of like hollow it feels very studio and I'm just I'm so taken aback that you're navigating that system with found footage uh, like are you a huge fan of the genre or like uh, yeah absolutely yeah so yeah that that was really it for me like i said at 
somewhere in my early teens, I got to see Blair Witch in the theater. We all thought it was real. There was no internet wasn't big back then, no social media. So it was just like word of mouth. And and I, again, like I said, I grew up near those woods, playing in those woods and it hit me hard. And then it was in 2009 when I was trying to figure out um, a project to do that was affordable. So like for me, I'd always wanted to do a found footage movie because I think between the Blair Witch, it I, I saw Blair Witch first and then I got to see, I worked at a video store most of my teens. I, I think I got to see like this really just bootleg version of cannibal Holocaust. I think that was like the first thing I saw. Yeah. And then it was, and then it was, um, you know, things like, um, man bites dog or, um, uh, what was it? Uh, the last broadcast? That was the other one. Right, that was, sure. yeah. And, um, you know, so I didn't have much to pull from because those were, that was really all I had saw. But when paranormal came out in the theater, it, it was Halloween night, 2009. I was actually in the theater and, um, Literally, as soon as I saw it, I went home and I was like, this is it. This is the next project. And um, this is this is actually, you know, going to be a challenge to shift to digital from film. And, and I was just obsessed. And then once that started happening, it's just like I fell down the rabbit hole and I just kept going and going and going and going and just. Because again, to me, I don't really call it a subgenre. I call found footage horror a subgenre of found footage, the genre. Because I've seen found footage comedies. There's that one Will Ferrell produced one. I think it's called like Virginity. I don't know what it's called, but it, it's it's it's. I've seen a couple comedies that were great. I've seen I've seen just outside of just horror movies. And so for me, I just I wanted to just see it all. The fake, you know, the mockumentaries, the whole nine. And so for me, I just got so deep into it. But it really was. When Paranormal came out, I saw that an audience dug it. And I got to see, for example, right now, the thing I always say is somebody who's 18 years old was five years old when Paranormal came out. So for me, that tells me that, you know, we're due for this resurgence and this kind of back to the surface and with new filmmakers and new ideas, it won't look the same or feel the same. And so for this particular film, I do have a version that is all found footage from beginning to end. It's what we screen tested in 2017 uh, down in Long Beach with a, with a huge audience at the Regal Cinemas. That is, to me, that would be like the found, furious, found footage purest for, uh, version of Malibu horror story that everybody would love in the found footage community. But this film is what I think is kind of the bridge because I think, to me, I still stuck true to that. You're still getting that, you know, tape inside of this movie just delivered to you in a different way and i think if everybody starts thinking about different ways to do this i think we're due for a massive resurgence and potentially back to the theaters and, and that that's the thing we've been you know constantly talking with the studios to see what they think about these movies and, and we now know that you know they're open up to the word found footage now a little bit you know what i mean and that that's making us feel a little bit better well you know, I think one of the biggest problems uh, the in-world camera genre faces is that the audience is so dispersed. Like, there, there's no really, like, as a horror fan, you have many outlets you can go to. And one of the reasons we started this film fest was trying to bring them together. Because you, you might be a rabid found footage fan and you've never heard of Malibu Horror Story or the tapes. And it's like, all the horror outlets are kind of, like, you're right, it's not just a horror medium. 
So it's not totally correct that you would go to them to try and find, you know, a comedy produced by Will mm-hmm. Ferrell, mm-hmm. which was that called like best night ever? I want to say it? it was called the virginity hit. That's what I said in my mind. But then I thought it was wrong. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Also, earlier I mentioned the documentary about Ghostwatch. That was Rich Lawton. It's Ghostwatch behind the curtain. Richie. Just for people paying attention. But yeah, Scott, I think you've got a man, you've got an uphill battle navigating these studio systems back in. I uh I'm glad you're the one doing it though. Because there's no greater feeling than like a found footage movie hitting in like a mall. Like when you go out there and everybody's just on board. And I, I'm really chasing that again. And, you know, luckily we're showing your movie in a theater yeah. and uh, it's going to be fun. Before we wrap up, I have, can I ask one more question? Yeah, go for it. It's a technical question. And if we need to cut it, we'll cut it because I don't want to spoil anything. But Scott, I want to I know how you did it. It's, it's my favorite scene in the film. We've got. I'll speak very softly here. The tent disappears <laughs> into the long dark corridor that was incredible how how did that happen scott so essentially uh we had we'd attempted that multiple times failed attempts multiple times and then um we brought in a stunt coordinator his name is steve rizzo he came in and his idea was let's attach the tent to a four-wheel drive jeep and let's yank it and let's put some uh, basketballs in there and have the, the lantern in there. So we're just going to yank it with the lantern and the basketballs. So we tried that and that didn't really yeah. work. And then he brought in a, uh, a stunt performer, um, Ashley's stunt performer, actually. And she, she was fantastic. And she's like, I'll get in the fucking tent. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, she's like, yeah, I'll get in the tent. And I was like, wait, the a Jeep is going to yank this tent out of the tent. Uh, you know, out of the cave. This is hard ground. This is a real cave. This is the bat cave up in Bronze. I was like, he's yeah. gonna yank this thing. It's gonna go forever, and you're gonna be inside this. She's like, yeah, I'll fucking do it. So uh, she did. She she got in the tent, and what you see is an actual stunt performer in the tent getting dragged away by a jeep on the outside of the tent, just cranking it as fast as he can. But I mean, it was. I would probably say that over a five year period, we tried that. You know at least 20 times and and there were all failed attempts into the last one and the it last one incredible <laughs> well thank i mean it like like i said you know when you, you say the word polish it's polished because we've gotten the chance to polish it over years it wasn't like we cranked this out in a year and just had a deadline it was like we can now take our time with it we're not attached to anybody anymore so it's it's more of a situation where it's like you know we took you know a lot of time to put this movie together and there's a lot of elements involved like i said there's a lot of elements so many codecs so many cameras over the years frame rates the FLIR camera shoots on a random frame rate it can go from two frames per second to 28 to to 160 so you know there's so much that went into this on a technical side that like to me we couldn't have done in just a year you know what i mean as as a a standard film it's fantastic and I'd hate to say it, but a lot of the things that, you know, I really love about the mixed media is just, you know, them looking at a map and being like, oh, here's where we're going and here's where we're driving, which I'm sure didn't require any camera use or anything. But right, right. it's such an interesting way to like, you know, I, I love when horror movies kind of give you the rules and it's like, we break the rules, the ghost will kill us. And then they break them immediately. It's such a good way to ratchet up tension. And I think these, you know, the paranormal shows, that's kind of what they're all about. Except nothing ever happens. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's not true for your film. And also, you know, I, we could cut this bit out. But I just want to say thank you for giving a... Oh, okay, so if 
if I'm going to break this film down, we got a slasher movie book ending a found footage investigation. And the crux of the whole thing is that it's kind of like, you know, we're in a technological paradise in America. Right. And yet we've found a moment or a location of like native history. Mm -hmm. And we go in there and, you know, whenever we're at, like we went to, we did Sundance online and we have this like, Virtue signaling, like, hey, we want to acknowledge all the people that lived here before. And it's like, hey, everybody, we all do. Why mm -hmm. are we doing this like little parade right now? Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, I don't know where this is coming from. And it feels really hollow to me. And it's kind of offensive. Mm -hmm. And then in this movie, it's like you give it like real weight. And you're like, well, why is all this bad stuff happening? And it's <laughs> right. like, well, these people showed up and they were fucking disrespectful. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's not like some hollow, like thought crime. It's like, Hey, we've found like legitimate like yeah. artifacts or history yeah. and we could yeah. and it's like eh, or we could just like party here and like fuck around. <laughs> All right. And it's like these people punish them. And yeah. you know, in you know, it's much more uh meaningful than like, hey, let's smoke weed and make out behind the cabin. Yes. So I don't know. I just I I really enjoyed every element of the craft you put here and I'm I'm glad you gave some weight to like some true disrespect for like native american heritage yeah i try to push that as far as i possibly could I, honestly yeah. like, I, like, <laughs> I really did because i was like i gotta drive this home because that was the one thing that we you know why is always my question when any anytime i watch a horror film just why i just need that answered once i have why answered i feel good about the film and to me i just kept saying why 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 and i just kept we we literally kept taking it one notch and going, okay, is this too far? And it's like, no, let's go one more. And then, you know, yeah. there's there's true history behind this, of course. Um, but, you know, you know, cursing a family or a family member for what they've done in the past and kind of keeping it on the land, again, was some, some of the, my favorite horror movies are about, you know, taint. I mean, uh, this goes back to like Poltergeist, right? Like, yeah. you know, so for me, um, uh, why I wanted to push it as far as possible, because I'll be honest with you early on our first couple, our first couple cuts in the, you know, 2013, 2014 range, why wasn't really there. It was really, no. I, I wanted to make it such a random movie where you were just watching this party flick. And then all of a sudden these, this shit breaks loose. You know what I mean? So it was like, came out of, came out of nowhere. And so for me, we had to shape why in there. And I, I think we just kept cranking that up every, uh, to the point where I think it's like almost like too much. <laughs> we, we push it pretty well, hard. Here's the thing, Scott, when you, you know, when people can watch it and like talk about it immediately after, I think you raise a lot of interesting questions because, you know, the original exploitation happens and then there's a curse. Yeah. But then years later, there's a new kind of exploitation. And then there's a video crew who, yeah. you know, even though they're kind of like a neutral acting partner, they're still kind of exploiting it. Yes. And you're like, layers of uh, punishment need to be dealt. Yeah, out. I mean, that's, I that's, that's the way we, we are in just general in society. We just exploit things. We just show up. Like, oh, and especially now with like, a, uh, like kind of uh, our, our, our obsession with going someplace and immediately taking a photograph, you know, instead of just enjoying it and respecting it, there, there is, you know, a lot of things that people do. And I, I think in general, especially for these characters, at least the Malibu kids, you know, kind of spoiled, rich Malibu kids. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you don't really like these guys. I mean, you, you, you're, you're, they're entertaining, but, but to you, you know, it, it could be satisfying for a lot of people uh, when, when, when they meet their fate and you finally find out. And that, that, that was another thing that I just want to say, I tried hard to try something where 
we're kind of watching it with them. So for the, when I uh, incorporated yeah. the laptop, to me, a lot of people are like, well, you know, why don't you go full screen with it? And it does go full screen in, in key areas. But again, you know, being over the shoulder and kind of uh, uh, watching it that way, it was, I do feel like laptops and watching and the screen life uh, kind of subgenre going on right now. Um, I, I do feel like that's another important step in in this genre is kind of mastering that. I know when I saw Unfriended, I watched it in a hotel room by myself on a MacBook, and it looked just, it looked just like the um, it looked just like the 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 interface of the film. And yeah. I was in an unknown, and I was like, "This is the way you watch this movie." But then I went and saw a film. I think it was Searching a couple months later, a John Cho film, and. I saw it in the theater and I was like, oh, this is great too. Cause it was a giant like windows laptop and it was just, you know, moving around. So I think, you know, the, the, the laptop was something I did not want to initially incorporate years ago, but after seeing how cool it was to watch, at least from a perspective of watching with somebody on a computer, um, I wanted to incorporate it in there to, again, just to have another type of found footage or whatever you want to call it yeah. in there. You know what I mean? Cause I really do feel like we have from surveillance footage to news footage drone, everything you can really think of is inside this movie. No, it's, it's incredible. And I have to ask, are you coming out to the fest at all? Yeah. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay. Then uh, we've got, I think two feature films that are screen life and uh, Thomas Burke. We're going to be showing his short. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. I've seen Thomas's short. Thomas is short. Yeah. But yes. Which yeah, version? I <laughs> cut 28 I, or I don't know 42? I know I saw I saw a version maybe um uh maybe like 3 weeks ago maybe 4 weeks ago Oh so probably 123 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure Look you you two here's one of the things we're learning with all the new found footage you guys they keep monkeying with the movie like you know back in the 70s people are like this is the movie it's done yeah. Tommy the monkey And yeah. now dude it's like I he <sighs> I agree. When I, so Thomas just reached out to me randomly just like a month ago. And that's when I kind of found out about this whole world, to be honest with you. And when he reached out to me, uh, we, we started talking and I realized that we were kind of cut from the same cloth. And I was like, okay. And he's messing around. He's got a bunch of different movies going on. He's editing a bunch of projects right now. And I was just yep. like, I was trying to tell him to, to get the streamline process because I've gone through kind of, you know, he's from Austin. So I brought up uh, Richard Linklater's boyhood. I was like, I basically made a boyhood movie over 12 years, essentially. I mean, because I had these kids when they were, you know, high school seniors all the way up to like 26 years old. You know what I mean? Like Damn. there's a transformation of these kids. If you look, there's freshman footage in there. These kids have no tattoos and baby faces. Then you see them in the film. They actually have tattoos and they're older. The voice is a little bit different. So, I mean, I went through that and I, I, I was telling Thomas just like, you know, from here on out, like that is my thing is like, you know, we can tweak all we want, but like there's a certain point in time where like I've learned from this project, at least for 12 years that it's like, you know, it's bad for your health. You know what I mean? it's, just, it's, it's just not, it's just not good. It's not good. Like, you know, just set a goal, do it really. And then on to the next. And like, that's, that's the mindset I'm at now. So I'm just so happy that, you know, uh, you know, audiences are getting to see this film right now. And again, with this particular festival, I was just like totally amazed. I was like, holy shit, this is an incredible festival. All these found footage films. And I, and, and to me, uh, I, I don't think there's anything cooler when it really comes to a film festival. So it's like, for me, I was just pissed off that I had just found out about this film festival. I would have went up there, you know, years ago and uh, checked this out. I apologize. Well, you know, we do a lot. One of the things that only Oksana is good at is marketing 
and I fail there incredibly. So again, if you have any friends that like found footage, let them let them know we're here. We're well, gonna no, yeah, yeah, no, no, in. definitely. And that's the thing is like I hadn't gotten it. I hadn't gotten into film festivals in general in fifteen years. Essentially, like I haven't even been like done the circuit yeah. or anything like that. So this is the first time. So you know things are different now with with um, with with film festivals, and it's just there's like 7 billion of them right now. So it's just so hard. Back in the day, there was only like a hundred film festivals and you like submitted your DVD through the mail. And like, it took like two weeks for them to like, you know, send it. Yep. It, it was a very weird process. And now it's, it's, it's just insane. And there's like a gazillion festivals. So what, when, when Thomas introduced me to this, I was just like, this is incredible. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful to be uh, screening at you guys' festival. Well, we're super happy to have you, man. I think, uh, again, it's hard for us to find, you know, those crowd pleasers. And uh, I think when this came across the desk, immediately, unanimously, that was the decision that this is the one. Yeah. And inside tip, our programming, we usually go early morning movies are a little bit more thoughtful that you got to hang with and like mull mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. As they go into the end of the night, they're a lot more um, easy to slide right into. They're not as unyielding narratively because, I mean, just found footage is it's a different way to tell a story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just just so you know, when when people out there are trying to plan their schedule for uh, the weekend, we always we always slap you around a little bit, but we want to reward you too. <laughs> and bring some coffee, Scott. Oh, my God. After a block of found footage movies, you can feel how much how taxing it is compared to like regular films. 15 mm. features in two days, Scott's. Yeah. yeah, that was the other thing I saw that and at one point in time there was like 24 hours straight of movies, is that correct? Well, about 28. Yeah. That was last year. Yeah, we actually ran over. Yeah. That, yeah. I, yeah, it, we're fucking <laughs> dumb, Scott. Can you do like I, I was thinking like how cool would this be if you guys set up like um like a uh, 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 inflatable screen out in the woods. And it was like a 48 hour straight camp out where you're just watching these movies. So like the daytime, you kind of curate more of like the daytime ish found footage films yep. and at night, more of the campy stuff. But it, in general, I, I like that theory of running them like that, but I, I, I can see what you mean because I have binge, you know, I, I, I tried to purchase every single found footage movie that came out between that, that 2010, 2016 era. And I can tell you that, Again, like you guys, just trying to find whatever I thought potentially could be found footage um, could be taxing sometimes after you've watched like twenty of them in a row, you know. But but again, I, I've seen you guys' bill and I've seen the 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 way you guys curated it and the the different um, kind of styles there are, you know what I mean? And that's why I was yeah. I felt weird because I was like, man, I went from what I considered like the most purest found footage movie of all time to like opening shot, someone's gonna be like, "Fuck you, this isn't found footage," you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Well, again, again, we're doing hybrid and yeah. uh, we can have the discourse that nobody else is doing. Yeah. And well, I think I mean, you're. Yeah, I, I guess I guess my thing is like, I, I still do feel like it's like if you just give it a shot, you'll still see that all the footage still gets incorporated. I mean, that that long oh, opening shot. shot no, leads no, to them filming. Off there. Don't make excuses. Your film is great. And one of the things you do is you're you're clashing a kind of traditional paranormal slasher with a found footage movie. And you really get to see in one film the different uh, relationship as an audience member you have with slasher characters and with people in found footage. And you can really feel how. You know, even in that recovered cell phone footage, they may not be the nicest people, but you get endeared to them really quickly. Right. And oh, yeah. And you end up like rooting for them. So, no, you made a great film. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I hope you're ready. <laughs> I hope you're ready to hang out at the Balboa. Oh, definitely. 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 Yeah, I'm excited. 
Thanks again, Scott. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.